1: for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington.
1: And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to Two Besties, Who's Their Way Down
2: the Great White Way,
1: on, on Buzz Broadway. When you're lost and alone, and you feel like you need a little lift. When the times are tough, and your
2: day has gone adrift.
1: You can, can always
2: press, press play, play on Bust Broadway.
1: Broadway. We've got the laughs
2: for when you're blue. Bust Broadway. For a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Sam was just singing Madonna, in case I don't include that. <laughs> so I just in on. case.
1: You probably won't. Madonna will probably sue us.
2: You, actually. She doesn't exist. But also Madonna would totally sue us.
1: She would love this podcast, though. Would she? I think so. Why she hasn't there w- been a Madonna musical yet?
2: Um, there's been a Madonna musical. It's called The Movie Evita.
1: No, no. I mean, like, a musical <laughs> about Madonna.
2: It's a good question. That'll be,
1: like, the next share show, I bet.
2: It should be. All right. Tell, tell them, tell them what we're singing about.
1: I get to tell them what we're talking about. I'll like I, correct you there.
2: I feel like I always introduce it. And also, I can't say this show's name correctly, so it's all you.
1: This week, we are talking about the Broadway classic, one of the most iconic musicals of all time, Les Miserables.
2: Wow, that was really otherwise known
1: as Otherwise known as Les Mis, Les Miserables, you know.
2: The Miserables.
1: The Miserables.
2: That's like kind of what it translates to.
1: It I think so. I actually haven't actually just translated les misérables, but I think that's what it essentially means, like the miserable, the miserable people.
2: Yeah, after living on the Wikipedia pages for the past couple of days, that's definitely <laughs> what it translates to.
1: What do you think our listeners have to say about the fact that we almost exclusively use Wikipedia for our research?
2: Okay, I'm a very large fan of the hit podcast My Favorite Murder, and they when they start talking about their stories excuse me they exclusively say like well they say here's all the research where i got all this research from and of course our favorite wikipedia so i don't great. feel bad because they know their shit and we can do whatever we want
1: great exactly we're also never claiming to be 100 percent factually right this could no. be a fantasy podcast
2: we usually <laughs> we usually admit to being wrong we guess a lot exactly
1: exactly
2: um what are you drinking
1: I am drinking a tequila soda tonight because I'm trying to be a little healthier and I didn't really want a Negroni tonight for some reason. It's also warm. I had the AC on and I turned it off to record this. So tequila soda felt right. I put some limes in there.
2: Yum. For all our fans who are wondering, why does Sam sound so different? Because he's in a
1: new place. I moved back to New York City. Finally. Here I am. I'm glad to be back. I do love New Hampshire a whole lot, and I miss my parents and my family, Mm -hmm. but I'm excited to be back in an apartment and back in New York. I have a new job that I really love.
2: Yes. Wait. Also, for everybody who's, I know, curious, I have also moved, so I sound really different. I'm in a new closet because I I switched bedrooms. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so. Amanda lives in an apartment in Boston, and she moved from one bedroom to another. And uh, so now she's in a different closet. Yeah, still
2: sweating like a pig. Trying
1: to be quiet. I'm not in a new closet. I'm just in a new I'm room. So hoping jealous. That new York City isn't too loud around me. I'm in Astoria, so it's really far from. It's not. I mean, it's it's pretty far from Manhattan, so there's not a lot of noise near my
2: room, right. which is nice. Um, I'm drinking some red wine.
1: Some incredible. What kind?
2: Pinot Noir.
1: I'm being so fancy. I'm drinking off of a coaster.
2: What? Are you doing?
1: Cuz I have a desk and I found those coasters at Target and Target could convince me to buy almost anything. <laughs> were the
2: were you just writing like in a planner?
1: Uh yeah, I have my drinking game rules on this planner. I was going to take notes on the planner, but I decided to take them on my It's just so much did.
2: easier. I go back and forth, but I'm
1: it really It's way is. easier to do it
2: on my laptop. Uh,
1: and I wasn't going to write the whole synopsis of the show in that's my Such
2: in a waste of time. Journal. So what are
1: So should we talk about the should we talk yeah, about Yeah, I'm then? so excited. All right, so I only have, like, three that technically... Per- I, have, I have four rules this time, technically. I have three drink rules and one finish... Like, three sip rules and one finish your drink rule. Two of the drink rules pertain to things that we could say related to the show. So the first is if we sing a line from the show. The songs are so catchy, and they get stuck in your head so easily. So I think if we ever accidentally sing, we have to drink.
2: Or intentionally sing.
1: Or intentionally, I guess you're right. All right. The other one is any time we say any word relating to France. So that's French or France or I guess those are it. That's so... Uh, Française, <laughs> oh, I shit, guess.
2: That's going to be really difficult. <laughs> I'm also typing these for myself in case you couldn't tell.
1: Great. So you remember. Because
2: I, I am strict about these rules. All
1: right. And then the third drinking rule, which, does not, which pertains to us two and not necessarily to Les Miserables. Okay. It's anytime we say, ugh, or so good. Because we both say that a relatively good amount. That we're both like, ugh, oh my god. So it has to be either, ugh,
2: or so good, just those?
1: Yes, those two. Uh, Ugh, U-G-H, or so good. Those are mainly mine, because I say so good a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay, okay.
1: Alright, and then the last one is if we ever say, two, (laughs) four, six, oh, one. We have to finish our drink.
2: Okay. Okay?
1: So if you're following along at you home. Also we're also to We're going to sip for singing. We're going to sip for French. French. Oh, my God. Okay, but, like, imagine a salad dressing that was French dressing and ranch dressing mixed what together. What is French dressing? You've never had... F- you're a French Canadian. <laughs> Much like me, who's never had French dressing.
2: I don't think I have.
1: It's so good. Okay. I don't even know what the ingredients are, but it's, like, orange. It's, like, a like a tangy kind of Thousand Island without the pickles. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, sorry. Following along at home, we're going to sip for, us uh, so good, singing or any word relating to French or France, and then you're going to finish your drink on 24601. Okay?
2: Yeah. There's a lot of mayonnaise right. in French dressing.
1: Did you look up the recipe? <laughs> yes. Oh, good. What's in it? What's in it?
2: Mayonnaise, ketchup. Tasting oil, apple cider vinegar, sugar, yellow onion, Hungarian paprika, and garlic powder.
1: Oh, there's more. So it items. is a lot. Like,
2: it's a <laughs> lot. I'm not. Lo- I don't. I don't care that much.
1: In my in my directed production of Les Mis, Jean Valjean actually gets arrested for stealing a bottle of French dressing. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kraft brand. Craft band. or like Ken's. Has Ken's it started? You
2: just said French like twice. So are we taking two sips? I
1: did actually. You're right. Yeah, twice. Yeah, let's okay. go for it. I am drinking tequila sodas tonight because, much like Jean Valjean, I enjoy punishing myself. Oh my god! I'm
2: <laughs> drinking wine because, much like the bishop, wine heals everything. <laughs> no, no. He says that he's like, "Come heal with wine." Does he? Yes. In the beginning, there is food for you. There is wine to keep you
1: sane. That's- oh, sorry. Are you, sorry, were you singing? <laughs>
2: That, nope, I was speaking.
1: I think you were singing.
2: There is wine to keep you warm, something like that. I will drink for that one, but I was trying to remember the line.
1: Um, I know what you're saying. I remember that now. Okay, so All
2: I'm right. the bishop. Should, you're Jean Valjean.
1: Should we get? Should we get? Should we get into it? Can I give the people their synopsis?
2: Yeah, give the people what All they right. want.
1: Les Mis is a long show, so this is a long synopsis. So buckle up, okay?
2: Can't wait. Let's count how many times you say France. Oh fuck it. <laughs>
1: We have to call it the new F word. <laughs> Les Miserables is the world's longest running musical, a true modern classic based on Victor Hugo's novel and featuring one of the most memorable scores of all time. I agree. Mm. With countless awards to its name, Les Miserables is as groundbreaking today as it was when it first premiered in London in 1985. Also agree with that, and we're going to talk about it later. Okay. In 19th century France... Oh! Jean Valjean is released from 19 years of unjust imprisonment, mm-hmm. but finds nothing in store for him but mistrust and mistreatment. He breaks his parole in hopes of starting a new life, initiating a lifelong struggle for redemption as he is relentlessly pursued by police inspector Javert, who refuses to believe that Valjean can change his ways. Finally, during the Paris,
2: does yep yeah, okay great.
1: We're gonna we're gonna count that one. Finally, during the Paris student uprising of 1832, Javert must confront his ideals after Valjean spares his life and saves that of the student revolutionary who has captured the heart of Valjean's adopted daughter. His worldview shattered, Javert commits suicide, and Valjean finally attains the peace that he has sought for so long. In terms of the actual plot, like...
2: Yeah, that's a solid one-sixth of the plot.
1: But it's hard to, it's hard to put it all into like a paragraph of words. So I get what they were saying that they really make it about this licensing plot line synopsis really makes it about the battle between Valjean and Javert, which it really is at its like core. Epic, grand and uplifting, Les Miserables packs an emotional wallop that has thrilled audiences all over the world. It is its powerful affirmation of the human spirit that has made Les Miserables a popular masterpiece.
2: I wish you guys could see Sam reading the synopsis right now. It's almost (laughs) as if he's like leading a protest. Lay Miz with his arms out is a good musical.
1: I don't know if we've mentioned it. Uh, Did we mention it in the last, in the forum episode, that you're a Tony Award voice?
2: I don't think we have.
1: (laughs) I don't think we have either, but I just, I joke that Amanda has like the, like the, the uh, voice from the Tony Awards lady who's like, Sam Saint Jean is nominated for his second Tony Award and his first win, and I did think when I said the Miz line, like this last little paragraph of the Miz synopsis, I I feel like I sounded like the Tony Awards lady.
2: You trying to channel me?
1: I am. I'm trying to. I'm trying to steal your job.
2: Oh, I'm already so good.
1: Do you want to tell me a little bit about our friends yeah, Claude yeah. Michel and yeah,
2: um, Claude Michel Schoenberg, the uh, composer and. Alain Boublil.
1: You got it. You got it. It's just like Alanis Morissette, but without the is. Did
2: I say Boublil right? Maybe. Boublil.
1: My last name is Saint-Jean, and I could not speak a lick of French.
2: <laughs> Great.
1: All <clears throat> right, so Je he's a lyricist.
2: So Schoenberg was born July 6th, 1944. One day. Birthday.
1: Before birthday my birthday. Up, and one day before you.
2: Yeah. Except like. He's a
1: cancer. We a, love it.
2: A couple years before me, but. Just a few. Uh, so he was born in 1944. Um, Boblia was born March 5th, 1941. Uh, and I just wrote mostly about what they did together. So that. they wrote most of the music for La Révolution Francaise. Drink. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. France's first rock opera. So that's pretty cool.
1: Tequila. Um, they We're going drunk t- this episode.
2: Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, they wrote some other biggies in 1989. They wrote Miss Saigon. <laughs> which I love.
1: I'm trying to stop my impulse of saying the the reactionary words, but Miss Saigon score is incredible. Uh, Miss Saigon, I think is going to see a real big revolution in how, how often it's performed in the coming years, because it really is like kind of the pinnacle white savior story because yes. it's based off of Madam Butterfly. So I will think we'll see a large decrease in productions of Miss Saigon. Uh, decrease? A decrease. Correct. Really? Yeah, I think that white savior stories like Miss Saigon, like Hairspray, we're going to see a decrease in, uh, in stories understand. like that being told. Exactly. And Who more stories like um, Choir Boy or The Color Purple, kind of black-led stories.
2: Uh, and then in 2007, they wrote The Pirate Queen.
1: Ah. Oh, I didn't know that was them.
2: Yeah, I didn't know that either.
1: Oh, no, you know what? I think I did, and I just forgot. Stephanie J. Block, though. That's how she got her Yeah,
2: break. yeah. And I actually don't know a ton about that show except for that. And then I know that they were nominated for the Academy Award for the movie Is. They wrote that original song, "Suddenly," uh, the one Jean Valjean sings to little baby Cosette. It's it's cute. It didn't win. It didn't. There's, there's. I think there's already <laughs> enough music in the show.
1: <laughs> That's one of my favorite things you've ever. It's cute. It didn't win. <laughs> Just
2: spewing the facts. <laughs> I took little baby notes That's so on... funny to me. Wait, that synopsis didn't include at all that this was written based on the book by Victor Hugo.
1: Nope. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. Uh, right right at, the, right at the very beginning. A oh, true did? modern classic based on Victor Hugo's novel.
2: Okay, 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 cool, cool, cool. Because it was like a pretty big book. Like it It's was a, a
1: pretty big deal. It's a
2: huge deal. That's what I read a lot about. Um... We also he,
1: read essentially the whole thing in our rehearsal process, which we'll talk about later.
2: Dude, I was I found my book the other day when we because I was doing really? research, and I like highlighted and took notes in the book based on the excerpts sh- um, our director told us to read. I used to be so motivated.
1: We'll talk about it in the yeah. in the, in, the, in the later segment.
2: But I just have like two quick facts, and I'll probably say other things. But Victor Hugo. Um, He was set out to write a novel about social misery and injustice. Which he did often. Which he did, and well done, because he wrote a novel that is so relevant today. And this was written in the 1800s. So, wild. And it took him 17 years (sighs) to complete.
1: I did not know that. That's a long time to write a book.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he wrote... And he like what I loved about reading about him is he's like I know this book is gonna be big. This is gonna change the world. <laughs> he literally said stuff like that. He's like he gonna, was
1: right. I'm gonna change the world. If it was now though, if Lay Miss came out like now, it would definitely be like a J.K. Rowling. Although we're not gonna talk about J.K. because she is Sucks. evil now. Yeah. But it would definitely be like a Harry Potter type deal where it would be like seven or eight books of Les Mis. and then there'd be yep. a mini series that came out in like twenty parts. You know.
2: Lay Miss would be a really good uh, mini series, actually.
1: It is. I don't remember who produced it, but there's a. a oh wait, Miss there already is that's one. Like, that's like six episodes. Yeah.
2: I was saying, what a great idea. I'm. <laughs> I'm well known for having great ideas that have already been. that
1: already exist. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: hate my life. Imagine this. Bobby <laughs> is played by a woman. Female Bobby. Um. Are you gonna tell us about the million shows?
1: I actually really pared down this segment because normally it's my longest segment, but I took it back a little bit because there are just so many productions of this show, but most of them are identical. So I didn't talk too much about individual productions. Les Mis was first conceived as a concept album in 1980, obviously inspired by Victor Hugo's novel, and it ran for three months in France. I believe at a theater. Oh, here we go. So it ran for three months at a theater in, in Paris, like I said. And then in nineteen eighty three, Cameron McIntosh, who we know very well in the United States. We
2: do?
1: Do you not know who Cameron Macintosh is? No. We've talked about him in other episodes, but that's okay. So oh, he's I know basically exactly who he like is. Cameron McIntosh <laughs> is like the
2: He's a producer, right?
1: Yeah, but I can't really think of like who he's like in the real world. But he's he's just a giant he's produced Phantom Okay, Mis, I knew Miss Saigon, Everything. Everything you could possibly think of is usually produced at, at its helm by Cam McIntosh. And he was a really big catalyst in the British invasion of theater in the 80s. So Cats, Les Mis, Miss Saigon. Um, so in alive? 1983, I th- I'm pretty I'm- sure. He's on the older side, obviously, but okay. he is... I don't think he's died yet. So he receives... A copy of the concept album from French director Peter Farrago. And Farrago suggests that Cameron McIntosh adapt the show in English. This is another quick, interesting point I want to make because <laughs> you're going to have fun editing this because I'm probably the drunkest I've been recording this and I've had one and a half drinks.
2: This is an interesting thing. That's I didn't say it just...
1: like that. No, 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 no. you <laughs> did.
2: But it was good. Okay, continue. Oh, come on. So
1: our music director, when we did this show, talked about this. Kathleen Arecki, who passed away in 2016. She's one of my great mentors. And I know she had a big impact on your collegiate career as well. Mm-hmm. She talked in our rehearsal process about French composition in terms of music. And uh, do you remember this?
2: I do, because she we brought just it just also gotten back right after doing Orpheus in the Underworld, which we translated to English.
1: Exactly, a French opera by Jacques Offenbach. And we're now doing Les Mis, which was composed by French composers. So she talked a lot about French speaking patterns and the fact that French people speak in a very kind of monotone and fast speak speech pattern that then is accented at the very last syllable. So when you listen to the music of Les Mis, quite often... I think like the best example of this is at the end of the day. And I think she actually used that e- example when we were rehearsing mm. the score. But if you listen to the rhythms of at the end of the day, it's ba 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 The accent is all the way yeah. at the very end of the phrase. And it's also very short and very fast. So quite often when, a fr- when French text is translated into English, it's extremely difficult to understand. Oh, here I go again. But yeah, I just find that point very interesting that... When you're translating a French show to English, you have to be very careful about the text because it's going to be really difficult for people to understand because the dialect of the language is extremely mm-hmm. fast-paced.
2: You just said it again, but I'm not going to make you drink. I'm not
1: going to drink for it either. And I also said the language purposefully because I didn't want to take another sip. I know you did. <laughs> so the audience Mac-
2: that does not give you an excuse.
1: It doesn't. No, if you're listening at home and you're not driving, uh, drink. And if you're if you're driving, drink a sip of coffee or something. I don't know.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: So after two years of development, Cameron McIntosh's production opens in London to initially negative reviews. <coughs> Bummer. London reviewers describe the show as witless, synthetic, and lurid. I'd had to look up what lurid means, but it means unnatural and uh, unconvincing. However, the public, the people of London, disagreed and the production broke several box office records. Hmm. The show ran for over 13,000 performances and closed just recently in July of 2019.
2: I didn't know that. Wow. The initial
1: engagement sold out. Les Mis is now the second longest running musical in the world behind The Fantastics at number one.
2: Oh, hell yeah.
1: (laughs) He's a faker, a fake faker.
2: That's not from Fantastics.
1: Yes, it is. It absolutely is.
2: Oh, you're right. It's from that song, Round and Round. (laughs)
1: The show transferred to Broadway in 1987 and was nominated for eight Tony, I'm sorry, 12 Tony Awards and received eight, including Best Musical. That's all she wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about how you re-experienced Les Misérables.
2: I started, I've been starting my process by listening to the original Broadway cast.
1: I did that a little bit for this, but did not listen to very much, because I cannot stand... Who? Not Edith Piaf. (laughs) Frances Rafael. Edith Piaf? Edith Piaf Piaf is who uh, Eponine is based off of. What? Yeah. Did you not know that?
2: No, but that makes me love the role of Eponine way more. That changes everything. So, yeah, I started out by listening to that recording, and... I can't remember actually if I listened to the West End recording or the Broadway recording.
1: I, I listened to the original West End production for a couple tracks. It's so I'm, synthy.
2: I did not listen to that one because that's. Patty Lapone was in that original, right?
1: Correct. She was in the original West End production.
2: So I listened to the Broadway one. Gotcha. Who, which whoever plays Fontaine sounds just like Patty Lapone. I definitely. Yes, I definitely listened to the original Broadway cast because I listened to Randy Graff, who played uh, Fontaine. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. And
2: Patti Lapone was in the original West End. Correct. So I listened to that. Then I watched the 2012 film.
1: Great. We saw it together in theaters.
2: We did. And then the past couple of days, I've just been watching bits of the 10th anniversary. Because I watched the 25th anniversary when it aired. So I was like, I don't really care about that because i've seen it
1: how did you like the 10th anniversary
2: um it was okay there's was, there's was some people i wasn't a huge fan of but there were some that i
1: did love uh, what's your i feel like people are very people are very polarized about cole wilkinson what are your opinions on i think Colm? he's
2: great i have a me i have too. a very hard time thinking someone who originated a role is not great
1: i listened to my favorite Le album which is actually the 2010 uk tour the if you're listening at home, the cover art for the album it's on Spotify. It says like Les Miserables live, uh, dream the dream. It says like uh, 2010 UK tour on the bottom, but it's a live album which uh, Cameron McIntosh likes to do, especially with uh, Sean and Blue Bleal shows. He did a live album for Miss Saigon as well. But I find that with a show that's sung through, like Lay Mis, a live album really captures the music at its peak. I think when you take a musical that's sung through and you put it into a mm-hmm. studio and release it as a cast album, there's parts that you want to cut because you want to have, like, track by track. But this 2010 album, A, the production is really strong. It just sounds really crisp and clean. And you really get a nice arc of the show. There's a couple things that are cut just for time's sake because otherwise it would be a three-hour album. Yeah. So this album runs at, like, 2.40. And I really, really enjoy it. So that's what I listen to the most. I did listen a little bit to the 2010 cast album. And I watched a little bit of the 25th anniversary and a little bit of the 10th anniversary.
2: I kind of want to talk about how you felt about the film.
1: I feel like the film of this musical should maybe not have been a musical. I think the casting was really strong if it had just been... A film version of the novel. Yeah.
2: There's already so many. I rewatched the 2012 movie and I felt very differently about it than I did when I first saw it.
1: Me too. Thank you. Yeah? Yes. I remember really not, not hating it when we saw it, but I remember overall enjoying it for the sum of its parts.
2: I thought more highly of it this time than I did in high school.
1: Interesting, we're opposite.
2: Yeah, well, I feel like when I was in high school, I mean, we were so annoying and too good for everything. You
1: were in high school when this came out.
2: Well, I probably, yeah. You were. No, 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 no. We went Christmas Day 2012, so I had just finished my first semester of college. Anyways, doesn't really matter.
1: You're right. No, you're right.
2: But... I feel like at that age, like you think you're too good for everything, and oh, like a mu- movie musical version of *Les Mis, like <laughs> it's gonna be so bad. And like, yes, there were some very bad parts. I, I don't even think it's worth our time discussing Russell Crowe. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: it, it's ju- it's worse than I remembered.
1: Me too. Yes, you're absolutely right.
2: But other than that, there were some people who I actually thought were better than I remember. The singing altogether is not great, but I don't know. I cried a lot. I
1: understand. I un- Did you cry?
2: A lot. Yes.
1: It's also very, I will say that, I mean, the, the film is very whitewashed, but the show, the, the subject matter in the film is extremely applicable to things that are happening right now.
2: I think I cried People... right off the bat because I had just, I've told you about this, how I watched the um miniseries when they see us about the central park five yes and the very first scene in lame is is prisoners doing slave work and, he, and then the rest of the movie is him trying to get on with his life after being in prison and that's what that whole show was about like yeah one of the one of the central park five could not make a living because he was wrongfully accused
1: and his felony charge followed him yes. for his entire life. Yep. So he
2: started selling drugs because he literally had no other way to make money.
1: And drugs were deliberately Im- implanted in black communities to force them to use them. Yeah. But besides yeah. that, I, in the same vein, want to talk about the Dallas Theater Center production. So in 2014, the Dallas Theater Center in Dallas, Texas, presented Les Rob in a completely re- interpretation of the story the show is set in a quasi futuristic world but pretty similar to our own it's kind of like american horror story where it's a not too distant future mm. the show really highlights all of the parallels in our world in 20 then 2014 but now 2020 <laughs> to the stories of the 1830s that were still happening and i have a vivid memory of our our director from our college production sharon paquette saying, why do we need to keep telling this story? I have a vivid memory of her saying those words. Why do we have to keep telling this story?
2: I was just going to say, she's the person who literally convinced me that it's going to sound so awful. But she's the one who made me realize that homeless people are not bad. Like, that sounds very privileged. No, I think
1: from your... from I don't think that's bad to say, though. Like, you you can acknowledge your privilege... Yeah. In thinking that homeless people were beneath you, or bad people, yep. or...
2: And, I mean, this is a different show, but being in Three Penny Opera with her, you know, we talked so much about homelessness, so I remember that year, I went to Boston with my mom, and, you know, somebody was like, can I... Hi, ladies, can you spare some change? And I just looked at him and was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any change on me, but I hope you have a good day. And my mom, like, scooted past, and I was like... And he was so grateful, like... Sorry, that's a rant. That for... you took
1: a moment out of your day. Yes. No, well, we'll I, we were gonna do a three penny opera episode. We decided not to, but maybe we'll keep talking, and maybe we'll maybe we'll eventually do one. It's got it's got interesting. But things. the subject matter of La Miserables is so so applicable to today, and I think that if if theater creators are very careful and they choose their casting and they choose their company very wisely, that we can have some very moving productions of this show in the next several years. Mm-hmm. So the Dallas Theater Center production featured Alison Blackwell as Fontine. Alison Blackwell is a black actress playing the role of Fontaine. It also featured Nahal Joshi as Jean Valjean, who is an actor of Middle Eastern descent. Okay. The show was incredibly updated and the costumes were very modern and really reflected a lot of the societal problems we face today. The show featured students protesting with big white signs across their city It featured uh, people not only at religious tensions with one another, but at racial tensions. And it is an incredibly moving production. You can watch Dallas Theater Center's highlights on the Dallas Theater Center YouTube channel. Cool. Um, I also will not confirm nor deny the existence of an entire bootleg of this show. Mm -hmm. But if you search on YouTube, who knows what you might find.
2: I think that's a good point.
1: I have one more piece of potpourri. Hit it. And then we can move on to our, our awards categories. I also Amanda, have one piece, so. Do you know this Patti Lapone Les Miserables story? Which one? Is there more than one? I only know like one really big one.
2: Tell me and then I'll tell you if it's the same that I know.
1: So if you're listening along at home and you don't know this story, we all know that Patti Lapone played the role of Fontaine on the West End.
2: On the West End, specifically on top of it,
1: as we all know, Fontaine is in the very beginning and the very end of the story. Patty LaPone, one day, decides to do her part of the show. She sings her little song. She dies her little death. <laughs> she goes up to her dressing room. She gets out of her costume. She puts on her robe and she opens up a magazine. And then time slowly slips away from her. And all of a sudden, she hears a vamp play. Through the intercom of the theater. I
2: do not know the story.
1: And she realizes that it is her vamp. (laughs) And I believe it's either one of her co-stars in the show, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a stagehand, but somebody runs to the door of her dressing room, throws open the door and says, LaPone, you're on.
2: Is this at the very end? (laughs) Yes. Okay.
1: Mind you, I believe the story goes that she had gotten out of costume. Because if you're a Fontaine, you should. You have a full two hours off stage. Mm -hmm. And apparently the way she tells the story is from her dressing room to the stage, she went from being in a robe to being dressed as Fontaine by the time she made it downstairs. And she tells this hysterical version of the story where she's listening to the the words that Eponine says for the first time because she's never actually had to listen to what Eponine has to say. And she goes, all of this happened to you tonight? And then she ends the, this fabulous story by saying, true to my nature, I only read my scenes. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. But she, there was a night where she apparently missed her entrance for uh, the return Ooh. of Fontaine at the end of the show. What and it uh, It makes me laugh. I'm, I'm sure that I'm doing a huge disservice to the story. But...
2: That's... She has enough stories. Okay, so that's not what I thought you were talking about. I thought you were talking about how traditionally when the Fontaine role was first played the actress who played Fontaine also had to be in the ensemble between those parts I read this today okay and Patty Lapone in her fashion was like no and she got a <laughs> she got away with it because she was in another show at the same time doing something so she was like I need to save my voice so they were like okay you don't have to but then once that ended they made her be in the ensemble, and she dressed in drag. As a man? Yes. I didn't know that. So, I don't know where I saw this fax, Where these facts. They're probably wrong, but... I I've <laughs> Well, that's now, I
1: believe... Story. I don't know what the rule is exactly, but I think if you're on, like, a principal contract by Actors' Equity, you can only be in the ensemble until your character that you're contracted for is revealed... So, that so for example... <laughs> well, it would. No, it would. So, like, for Les Mis, for example, I believe that, like, Angel Ross, Marius, Cosette, I believe that they sometimes, and I could be totally wrong, are in, like, at the end of the day, up until, like, Master of the House. Makes sense. And then they become their characters... And then they don't ever revisit the ensemble afterwards. So I believe that's the rule that if your character, for example, isn't introduced until halfway through Act One, you can be in the ensemble all the way through the first half of the first act, and then you have to become your character and not go back to the ensemble. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And the, I mean, when we were in it, the girl who played Fontaine was in all of the. Ensemble. She went back
1: to the. She went back to the ensemble. You're correct. Yeah. I think they kept her out of Master of the House, and they put her. No, back they in did for not. The- they didn't?
2: It was me, her, and Chelsea Merritt in a little semicircle in the very back, just <laughs> drunk as fuck. I was
1: in Master of the House. I had a quick change before Council yeah. Ross. Yeah.
2: I also had a quick change before uh, old beggar woman. Um <laughs> I <laughs> have one piece of potpourri.
1: Great, here we go. Lay it on me.
2: Did you know that Victor Hugo wrote Marius and Cosette's wedding on February sixteenth, eighteen thirty three? That date is the date Hugo and his lifelong mistress, Juliet Drouet, Drouet, whatever her name is, made love for the first time. Huh. Why that's a fact that needs to be known, I don't Interesting.
1: know. Did you say, what date did you say it was? February what? 16th. Ah, I was like, that's close to Valentine's Day.
2: It is close to Valentine's Day. What do you say we take a break? Sure. Before we get into our categories?
1: Love that. Can't wait. Hello, Buzz Broadway listeners. As you may know, the United States is currently experiencing a nationwide revitalization of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we here at Buzz Broadway have been called to anti-racism work. For the foreseeable future, we will be highlighting organizations and charities committed to combating systemic racism towards black indigenous people of color in the United States.
2: This week, we are pleased to highlight the Coalition for the Homeless. As the nation's oldest advocacy and direct service organization, The Coalition for the Homeless has helped homeless men, women, and children for almost 40 years. The Coalition has worked through litigation, public education, and direct services to ensure that affordable housing, sufficient food, and the chance for a living wage are fundamental rights for our civilized society.
1: Black Americans count for 13% of the population, but make up over 40% of homeless people. By stabilizing people through shelter, moving them into permanent housing, and implementing assistance programs to keep them in their housing, we can not only reduce, but eliminate homelessness. The Coalition's How to Help page outlines resources, volunteer opportunities, and specific action plans to help those in need. Visit coalitionforthehomeless.org for more information, or through the link in our Instagram bio. Thank you, and on with the show. So our categories.
2: Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Great break.
1: Great break. Great so much break.
2: Done. Love to see it. I actually have three musical moments.
1: I have four.
2: Okay. Well, that's not allowed. It is
1: allowed. It is allowed. Should I go first? Yeah, please.
2: Great. Number one. The key, the very first key change in at the end the of the kiv. The kiv. The <laughs> kiv. Let me say that again the very first key change in it's not even a key change at the end of the day is that
1: when it goes from like minor to major
2: yes, yes. and the whole tone of the song changes because they're like at the end of the day life sucks and then it changes to major and they're like at the end of the day there's another day what do you know it's very uplifting
1: very I love uplifting. a good old
2: minor to major change there so that's number one great number two is adult Cosette singing the castle on a cloud. Melody later on in the show.
1: Three Men I saw be on the Wall? Yes. There you go. I think
2: that's great. I just, I mean... We it's could important to have
1: character themes. We could do oh a my whole God, episode we could just a, on the music of this show.
2: I remember when we were in it, I don't remember all the specifics, but doing so much analysis on all the different themes and became so obsessed with it. And my third one is when... Javert's like i'll i'll help you schoolboys, get the plan and gavroche is like liar I got Inspector Javert. it's just was that singing that was singing how you doing my name is gavroche i don't remember <laughs> it but i just love and the guy the the kid who played gavroche in the movie is actually very good
1: he is very talented he played
2: um jack and he later the played the jack and
1: into the woods correct
2: He's just, yeah.
1: Gavroche originally had a song. Did you know that? In act one? Yeah, Little People. Exactly. Where he went and essentially like pickpotted, pickpotted, <laughs> pickpocketed the citizens of France. Yeah. The citizens hey, of
2: France. Hey, France, baby. Say.
1: Oh, big, bing bing big. This vodka soda is getting very gross, I will tell you that.
2: Well, it's tequila soda, so you don't even know what you're drinking.
1: <laughs> it's a really gross vodka soda. I don't know why it's so gross. <laughs> Maybe because it's tequila. So my I have four nominees. They're gonna be fast because mm-hmm. they're actually all score. That Not a single mean one faster.
2: About,
1: yeah, it does. So some I don't know what it is about the 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 score of this show, but the things that I love the best are the transitions between scenes.
2: Oh, okay. It's
1: the heavy, dramatic and cinematic underscoring that links all of the songs together, and every single one of my favorite musical moments of the show are one of those things. So the first one is Jean Valjean singing Another Story Must Begin into the intro of at the end of the day. So just something about the way that that music kind of twists and contorts into the next song really seals the deal for me. And the big crescendo, that's like the, I mean, up until then, you've gotten 12 minutes of prologue. It's like Into the Woods where you finally reach the end of the opening number. And yeah. the audience always applauds, this huge applause because they're like, the show is, this, I mean, people get excited mm-hmm. and they lose their, their minds when the show starts, when you have the, you know, look down. Oh, intro start playing but there's something said, about
2: <laughs> sorry i keep interrupting
1: there's something about the intro to at the end of the day that tells the audience that the show is officially starting that what they've seen up until then is a prologue and now we're getting into the actual bread and butter of the show yep the next transition that i'm obsessed with is the waltz of treachery into paris 198. i'm sorry 19 <laughs> paris 1982 <laughs> <Break> <laughs> the up. waltz of treachery into paris 1832 which is from visiting the Valjeans. I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> My second favorite musical moment is the Thenardier Waltz of Treachery into Paris, 1832, where Valjean takes Cosette from the Tenardiers and we then get transported 10 years later into Paris in 1832.
2: Sip. I was not going to say anything because you're dying.
1: I'm going to be fine. Something about the way that that music really crescendos into the Paris theme and all of the Parisians singing "Look down, look down." I'm not gonna drink again because this whole song is called Paris. Again, really gets my my gears turning. My third is from the applause of "On My Own" <laughs> into the reveal of the barricade. The barricade in the show Ooh. is really like an extra character. Yeah. It is such an iconic image of the show. And when, when the audience sees that barricade for the first time, they're really, that's, I mean, it's the climax of the show. Mm-hmm. The denouement and like the the <clears throat> big, I mean, and, and it, everything after the barricade is almost like an epilogue. Really.
2: Yeah. Javert yeah, killing
1: that. himself, all of them, meaning like we really get to the meat of the show in the 15 minutes, 20 minutes that we spend at the barricade.
2: It's only 15, 20 minutes. No, no, no.
1: The barricade is at max 20 minutes long.
2: It Well, it's the best part of the show. It feels so much longer.
1: <laughs> it's the, one of the biggest spectacles. I mean, the barricade in the original production is on a giant, I mean, the whole stage is a giant turntable. Right. Plymouth State University also had a turntable that was operated by hand. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, freshmen. <laughs> Do you remember, though, Leo Curran pushing that barricade around?
2: I remember them being like, we don't have enough stage hands. Let's get all the freshman MTs to do everything.
1: So, again, that's just really the climax of the show. And when that barricade is revealed coming out of Eponine's, you know, swan song of the show. Yeah. And also in in the 2010 UK production, which later became the 2014 Broadway production eponine finishes on my own and she turns up stage and these two big units separate to reveal the barricade and she is lit in front of it and she looks so small Gorgeous. up against the giant barricade and so it's what we're hearing is almost like the the musical personification of what eponine is seeing in front of the barricade so it really helps kind of back up that emotional moment for her Arriving at the barricade and seeing what the students have done just while she's been away at Valjean's home. Mm-hmm. My very, very last one is the end of the final battle into the sewers. So when we're transported from the police picking up the remains of Angel Ross and Gavroche and all the students who have died and then being taken down into the sewers. It literally try. sounds, it literally sounds like you're going from, th- the way that the music is written sounds like you're going from street level down into the sewers beneath Paris. Everything kind of decelerates and, uh, what's the word for that? Where notes go down. Declines. Thank you. Where all the music literally, like, musically declines into the sewers and it's so, it gives me chills every time I listen to it. I know I said it was going to be faster this time, but yep. you were right. And I want you to sure apologize did. to you <laughs> for okay, saying you were going to be wrong.
2: Um, I'm usually right.
1: <laughs> Should we get into our favorite numbers? Bam, 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 yeah. bam, all you.
2: I love my songs and I already win. So. Okay. <laughs> it's three songs by the students because. Oh, okay.
1: Mine are none of those. So. <clears throat> awesome. That's, that's actually fun.
2: Okay. Yeah, mine are. Oh, did we
1: decide on a musical moment that we think is the best? I don't know. The whole fucking show
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus.
1: Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You said at the end of the day <laughs> is one of your things, so I feel like maybe mine should win for at the end I of the day. I think you're
2: right. That transition <laughs> into at the end of the day, though, that you're right. It's breathtaking.
1: da 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 da
2: I know. I, yeah, I didn't need you to sing it. I knew what you meant.
1: All right. All right. Production number. All by the students. Here we go.
2: <clears throat> my favorite All by the Students. So, starting with Red and Black.
1: Wow. Really? Yes. Fascinating.
2: It's powerful. Every, I think the reason I love every one of these songs is because... Okay, let me start that over. I think it's very much just where my headspace is in the world today.
1: So when I'm listening to
2: these songs, I'm literally imagining myself walking down the streets of Boston singing this while holding a Black Lives Matter sign.
1: I'm absolutely here for you for that. I get exactly what you're saying.
2: So the first one is red and black. Uh, Second one is, do you hear the people sing? Because that one especially, I want to start a protest and have us sing that and no one will join me and I'll just get a microphone and sing it by myself. Do you hear Amanda sing? We'll call it and it'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My third one is "Drink with Me." It, "Drink with
1: Me" is a beautiful, beautiful song. Yes, I think it's very underrated.
2: It's extremely underrated, and and I guess I uh, I think "Drink with Me" slash "Bring Him Home" because it goes right into it. And oh yeah, you're right. "Bring Him Home" is I have no words. Is just a stunning ballad. So. I don't know. I don't know which one I like the most. I honestly think, do you hear the people sing, though?
1: I would say in terms of, like, the public's reaction to Les Mis, do you hear the people sing is, A, the most melodically replicable, meaning, like, it's the one that the audience is going to leave the show stuck in their head. Also because it's the final melody you hear in the show. Will you join in our
2: crusade? Oh, my God. That's what made me. Well, let me just speak this line for people who don't know it. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of the people who will not be slaves again. Are Are you kidding?
1: Could it be more applicable?
2: It just, it killed me. All right. Hit me with yours.
1: All right. So number one, at the end of the day. Okay. Like you said, the way that the music shifts between... <sighs> Such a despondent feeling of hopelessness for the impoverished people to a song of hope that tomorrow will come and there is always an opportunity to change the world you live in. You want to change, you gotta fit. That's Uh. not what
2: I was thinking, but (laughs) I was thinking at the end of the day, there's another day dawning, but you go with your quote. Sure, 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 sure,
1: sure. But really, the way that that, that music twists and contorts, I, I think it also made a big impact on me the way that our director from our college production shaped this song, because she really, the her initial inspiration was that the p- p- impoverished people were then going to turn into the workers and then back into the impoverished people. Mm-hmm. It didn't wind up being staged that way, but that flavor and that essence still worked its way in. And I think it's a really fascinating interpretation, especially in a commu- in a in, in a government that is set up as a capitalism, having parallels shown between people who are impoverished and people who are employed but still kept hmm. at a disadvantage. I think is a really interesting parallel to draw, and to then have the impoverished people <laughs> who Fontaine is about to become turn on her which is what our director had us do anyway at the end of the day is a great song (laughs) my second is the final battle (sighs) that is from right after Gavroche's death (laughs) through the police and Javert disposing of Angel Ross and Gavroche's bodies it just really I think also I'm probably biased because this was the most this was the climax of my show. I don't know if we've ever, I don't know if we've still said who we played, but I played Angel Ross in college, which I know you probably are all shocked to hear because I would never do it in any other setting except co- college. Maybe, yeah. maybe now in this, I mean, who knows what's going to happen after this show? You can is cast
2: over. As anything you want. It's 2020.
1: I guess you're right. But I, I loved playing this part so much and I'll talk about it more. But this was, I mean, this is the climax of Angel Ross's show. This is his, yeah. this is his, this is his death. This is his end. This is, the climax of his life is leading up to this moment where he. Mm-hmm puts his entire life at stake to fight for what he believes in. So the final battle for me is just a really solid piece of the show. And finally, my last favorite song is Turning, because I don't think we often f- think about... We think about the George Floyds. We think about the Breonna Taylors. We think about the Tr- the Trayvon Martins. We think about the Matthew Shepherds people who have died wrongfully at the hands of prejudice and bias but we don't think about the people that that trickles out to and the people that are harmed inadvertently or indirectly when i listened to turning when i listened to turning for the first time in the last couple weeks i only thought about that woman who spoke about george floyd and said when he called out for his mother all mothers wept for him um because that's what turning that's 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 exactly yeah. what turning is about it's about the women who come to the barricade the morning after and the music just sound the way that they the way that schoenberg and Boulez write melodies is just so in tune emotionally to mm-hmm. how that character is feeling at that time and the lamenting The kind of relentless lamenting that the song emotionally evokes from you, the kind of repeated, the song's called turning, meaning it's a circle. Turning is what a circle does. So it it just cyclically keeps happening and happening and happening. The women say, who will wake them? No one ever will. You know, um, what's the use of, uh, what's the use of fighting if the, something if the wound never heals or something like that it's just the fact that these women have had to do this throughout history that they keep having to clean up the messes of men that they have to keep cleaning up the messes of a government that is not serving them and I think for me in 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 what is happening right now in the world turning is the most appropriate to where we are at societally if that's a word sorry I talked about that for a long time but turning no is but just I really understand turning is like such a great allegory for where we are currently at in the world.
2: We're we're in the we're in the beginning I think of a revolution.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you, but I think that and I mean we know from history that this kind of event usually results in some sort of turnover. We know from the from the darkest days that we saw in the civil rights movement of the 60s and 70s that we received change out of it we know that in the riots after martin luther king's death that we received the civil rights act you know mm-hmm. we know that we've at least received the brianna taylor act i guess i mean like four weeks ago you know three three weeks ago turning is where we were at it was yep. saying yep. we're doing this again why do we have to do this again we're going yep. we're mourning again over the death of somebody who has been wrongly killed again. A black a black person who has been wrongly killed again. I don't want to just say a person. You're right. I do get what you're saying, though, that tur- at the end of turning, it feels like they just kind of succumb to the... Because I think turning goes right into empty chairs and empty tables, right? Yes. Yeah. But it's then Marius who takes the experiences of what he's seen and what he's done and effectively makes a change. Yeah. You know what I mean? We know that he's going to go on to be a contributing member of society that he's going to use the experiences that he's had to make the world a better place that he's going to love Cosette with every fiber of his being and, you know, raise a family, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's what I think. Amen. Great. I think we can, I think we can just leave that as it is. I don't think we need to pick a winner for this category.
2: I don't think we do either. (laughs) Finally. Finally. I think Edwina Spoonapple just really carries the show. Edwina's coming,
1: Edwina Spoonapple. Does she's that count really coming, as singing Edwina a line Spoonapple. from the Apple. show? I think she's coming, Edwina Spoonapple. Ba 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 ba. Yeah, it's counter right. singing. Okay,
2: great. I have three.
1: I also have three. I'm gonna go first.
2: <laughs> okay, but I know I know who I want to win. So.
1: Okay. So, my first acting award nominee goes to Ramin Karamlu because he has played two different characters in the show. He's done them both successfully. I do think he's better for Jean Valjean, but I understand why they cast him as Algeras in the 25th anniversary. He's just great. Okay, that's all I have to say about it. We've already talked about him a lot. His voice is gorgeous. Yeah. The second person I have is Samantha Barks. Mm. I think that her eponine is gorgeous, her voice is stunning. Her acting is really beautiful.
2: Her waist My, is really small. Her
1: waist is really small. You My final acting award out. nominee actually goes to our friend, Daniela Coyne, who played Madame Thenardier in our college production. <laughs> For me, she was the standout of that of our production. She was hysterical. The Thenardier's, obviously, I mean, Thenardier himself uh, goes from being the comedic relief to being a very dark part of the show in Sewers. Yep. But they really provide the levity that the show needs. Without them, yes. you have a couple laughs from Gavroche. But other than that, you have no other light parts of it. Nothing is light. I guess the love story is, like, considered light. But, but it's still pretty... Only ugh. they are the only comedic relief. So they have to hit it home. And Danielle, I think, did a great job at creating a fully realized person that was not just a caricature. Yes. But but delivering agree. delivering the comedy where we needed it. She's such an interesting performer to watch, and she's so talented. And I don't know how often she listens to the podcast, but I'm going to tell her that we mentioned her because I I just think she was great. She was a real standout in our college production.
2: And her, I think she is an incredible actor. And then her along with our friend Eben, who played Tenardier, was they I had think great chemistry. Too, you're right, because Eben could do the whole comedic to dark thing very well. So. I, I totally agree with those. Who are yours? Especially Lay on me. Um, My first one is Leah Salonga, because ugh. she played both Eponine and Fontaine. And I what I love, why are you sipping?
1: Because you said Leah Salonga, and I said, ugh.
2: Oh. I, what I love about Les Mis is that so many people come back later and do it. Multiple people play multiple roles. Yeah. One of the best parts of the film is Colm Wilkinson playing the bishop correct it's because at the end he's bringing Valjean home and he is Valjean that was a stunning
1: that was also a stunning choice though to bring the bishop in at the end of the show and I think that they should do that more often in the stage production
2: my second one is Colm Wilkinson because like I said I again I really appreciated his bishop because it was one of the only um, vocally strong parts of the (laughs) film (laughs) so awesome. <laughs> him and Aaron Tveit really <laughs> held it together. Yeah, Aaron
1: Tveit was really holding that house up. The house of vocality. Is vocality a word? Yeah, it is now.
2: I don't know. Him and Samantha Barks just chilling together like, Correct, Samantha. Well, okay. Thank God for us. <laughs> and and the um oh my god, you need to rewatch it. The actor in that film who is like it's the last, the final battle. He's like, move or we're going to kill you. His voice is stunning. Anyways, he's not Oh, sure, ears. sure, sure, sure. But he is very good, whoever that man is. Okay. And then my last one is I can't pronounce her name. Judy, Judy Kuhn? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Kuhn? Judy Kuhn. Kuhn? Kuhn.
2: Judy Kuhn. God, I'm listening to that 10th anniversary and her right? co music is so stunning. Right?
1: I, I saw just her... want to go watch
2: some damn Pocahontas.
1: I saw her live. And listen to her voice more. I saw her yeah. live in Fun Home
2: oh my god
1: as Mrs. Bechtel. she was just I don't have words like I really her so her acting is just so I feel like so much of theater training is like go for the back row like you have like it's not about it's not always about making it big but even in the giant even in a giant place like the whatever arena they were in for the the 10th anniversary she knows kind of what Sharon knows from our mm. college production that as long as energetically you are delivering what you need to deliver that vibration from your energy will uh, penetrate the entire space. And that's sort of the belief that I fall under as well is that I, sometimes I get really big and really over the top re Charlie in the chocolate factory, but <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to like real drama and and also like even in those wildly fanciful highly unrealistic (laughs) fuck off uh, scenes I still really find that like a rooted you have to stay rooted and Judy Kuhn is so her choices are so intimate and so specific
2: I don't have a winner
1: I don't either let's just keep going
2: my honorable mentions are the actors who played jean valjean and javert in our production in college mike dodge and brad fernald because they i they were i think they were mostly cast for their voices because they weren't musical theater actors but the way that sharon works with actors because she did this with me as well because i was not a musical theater actor i was a voice major and she really helped me on my acting and the way that she works with certain actors she just really brought them into their characters i thought um and they worked really hard
1: i understand and exactly. especially,
2: yeah especially mike who went he played orpheus the semester before and i love you mike he was not great and then he took a summer and like took acting classes and came back and played jean valjean and it was like a different person on stage He was, he
1: was, he and Brad were very good. You're absolutely correct. I think that is a testament to their uh, discipline as performers and also Sharon's artistry. Sharon Paquette, who was our director for our college production, has directed thousands of people in her career. And some of those people are actually incarcerated members of our society. So she would go into prisons and she would direct prisoners. She said that the things that she was able to get out of them were remarkable because they have so much emotion and so much untapped sort of vibration in their bodies that they haven't really been able to express. So she, I I agree with you in that she really can, her, her process allows anyone to sort of tap in.
2: Yeah. And the, one of the biggest things I remember that she talked to them about and maybe all of us is go To your, like, go to your breaking point, but don't break. Do not lose yourself in your character, because then you're going to lose yourself. Absolutely. And it was just... The most you can ever give is
1: 99%.
2: It was directing that I've never heard before.
1: Yeah. I have more to talk about in a little bit, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, My honorable mentions are Kate Fleetwood from the film. She plays the factory worker.
2: She Very cool. is
1: most noticeably, or most notably, known as Lady M in the 2010 PBS production of, or the BBC in the in the UK production of Shakespeare's Macbeth. She plays the part opposite Patrick Stewart, mm. and she's just she's just fascinating to watch. And even in such a small featured role in the film, she really stands out for me. Her eyes, are she so. She was very good. The factory worker is like this woman that we did. You see the video of that man who was painting Black Lives Matter on his stoop. No, there is a man in San Francisco who who like lives in a in a apartment, like in a building, like in a I guess it's like a townhouse. And on his stoop, he had like a stoop, and he was painting Black Lives Matter. And this couple came over to him, and they were like, "What are you doing?" And he was like, "I'm painting Black Lives Matter on this stoop." And he, then he started filming them and they're like, we agree with you. We get what you're saying. We're here for it, but you cannot do it here. Like, this is wrong. And he's like, so if I if I lived here, what would you say about that? And she's like, we're all for Black Lives but you cannot paint it here. He's like, but what if I lived here? And she's like, well, you don't. We know the owners. And he fucking did, lives there. Did he live there? He lives there. And so, there's, so she is like a, he works for some law firm or something in San Francisco and he got fucking fired. And she is like a makeup person. She's like a makeup guru or a skincare guru who had her stuff sold on Birchbox, that like monthly subscription thing. Yep. And she got disowned from Birchbox.
2: Holy shit.
1: But that is the factory worker. Like that is it's these it's these karens of the world. It's the it's the Yes. It's the woman who called the police on the people grilling like it's like the factory worker yep. is a Karen like she is like, oh, I don't like you. So I'm going to I'm going to fuck up your life. I'm going to ruin everything for you. Yes. Um, But Kate Fleetwood's Kate, Kate Fleetwood's portrayal of the factory worker, no matter how small, is still so captivating. My last uh, honorable mention is Rosalind James, who plays Eponine in the 2010 UK tour uh, she's a black performer. She's incredibly talented. She her voice is unstoppable. Her portrayal of Eponine is so fleshed out and so palpable, and I just really enjoy her performance.
2: Um, who wins the show for you?
1: The score. Schoenberg and Blubliel write unbelievable scores, and I think Miz is probably their best work. Mm-hmm. Is it's not even Oof. arguable. I mean, it's their it's yeah. their it's their swan song, and the show is just this. The score is incredible.
2: I would have to, I I mean, I agree. I don't totally agree, because that's not who wins the show for me. Great. But I agree. Uh, for me, it's... Beggar um, Woman. No. Sorry, wait,
1: were you Beggar Woman or Old Hag?
2: I was Old Hag.
1: Because Beggar Woman is in act...
2: No, no, the role is Old Beggar Woman.
1: So who's Old Hag? And
2: Aaron Toohey. <laughs> Why do I remember that? that's um i'll give you four yes you that four was not to me. i sing i know
1: what you get right, right right but and old hag rachel
2: pantazes rachel Pantazis was prostitute the young number prostitute.
1: one young prostitute you're right if you've ever done les miz then you know that the mti names for the characters are hysterical because they're all like kind of the same but slightly different you've got like prostitute one two three young prostitute you've got old hag old beggar woman Hair Hag, rest in peace. Hair, hair hag.
2: hag, um, for me it's audiences forever.
1: I'm I'm very behind you with that. Actually, you're right. I
2: feel like I don't even need to explain that.
1: You don't. Audiences have cherished the show forever, and watching the show it, is such a wonderful experience. So I think I think you're correct.
2: unless unless we finally find world peace, which we're human beings, isn't totally plausible. This show is always going to be relevant
1: you're you're absolutely correct it's, it's unfortunate that the role i i hope for a time where the show is maybe a little less relevant yep. than it is now yep. but we are unfortunately in a time where the events that take place in the show are literally happening on our streets every single day you want to talk a little bit about plymouth state university's 2013 production of the show
2: i need to talk about actually first Goffstown high school's production of les mis which in i did not 2009. see 2009 you saw it I did not. Neither did I. It. This was a big controversy. So <laughs> this was actually, this is a story about how fucking privileged and spoiled I was in the fourth grade. So um, Gaston High School did it. I was in fourth grade. They reached out to our music teacher and said, do you have any young elementary schoolers who could sing for uh, young Cosette?
1: And young Japanese or did- just young Cosette?
2: And Young Eponine. Okay, so they okay. chose three students who switched back and forth between those two roles. I was not chosen for one of them. And me and the Harringtons th- kind of threw a fit. And Wait, your parents like, threw a fit? No, I don't think they did. I think it was mostly me and they backed me up. But I was just like, why did I not get chosen for this? And I remember <laughs> my music teacher was like, you would have been too busy because you're always so busy and me and my family were like that's such a bullshit excuse so they're like okay you can do it if you're free and then i chose to be in evita over that
1: where were you in evita
2: at the acting loft i was one of those young children
1: oh no who played evita
2: i don't remember it was in no, 2009 no, no 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 but i remember that very Wait, well no it was
1: not 2009
2: no, it was 2004. I'm so
1: sorry. <laughs> I was like, we were in high school together in 2009. Yeah, it was
2: 2004. <laughs> and my mom was like, you don't want to cut ties with the acting loft and, you know, quit in the middle of Avita. Meanwhile, and, like, you're here. like fully
1: nine years old.
2: <laughs> your yeah, mom's like, but she's, but you she, need
1: to think about your career. She, <laughs> she teaching
2: me morals. She was teaching me morals. You're right,
1: you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right.
2: But also was... She... No, I love her. But I just remember being fucking bitter.
1: Yeah, I would have been too. And
2: I I I I wasn't friends with the other three. I, I was probably about 9 intentions.
1: years old the first time I ever didn't get something. And I remember my mom being like, "You need to like be prepared." No, I'm sorry, I was 11. And I auditioned or maybe 12, and I auditioned like years prior, like a, a year or so prior to play the boy in The Full Monty. Oh. And then when I came, so I, I took some time. I was away from New England for a little while as a kid. And then when I came back to New England, I was too old. Hmm. Like they put the production off like a year. And then when I mm-hmm. came back and auditioned, I didn't get it because I was too old. And I remember being devastated because it was the first time I ever didn't get a part.
2: Yeah. That was that. Now we can talk about. Politics. College.
1: Amanda, yeah, what was I mean, your what was your full track? Like what did you do from beginning to end?
2: This is actually what I was gonna say. I actually <laughs> loved my track. I mean, the number one thing I have to say is I really don't remember being in the show that much. I like out of all the shows I did in college, this is the one I remember the least. Interesting. Um but I really loved my I had three bigger roles besides ensemble. Sure. I was like factory worker number three. Did you have a line? I did. I sang, um, and the bossy doesn't know that the foreman is always in heat. Classic.
1: Cheers. Drink up.
2: That's a great line. I was, Old Beggar Woman is probably what I'm known best for. I hate you. Interpretation. <laughs> but I also had one of the solos in Turning. And I remember being really moved what was in it? that song. I actually don't remember that one.
1: Huh. I think
2: it was the second one. Did you see them lying on the bed? Going off to fight. Yeah. Drink again. But I remember loving that track. I mean, loving to an extent. I wanted to be Eponine, but...
1: I think it would have been great. I agree. <laughs> I had an ensemble track up until Paris, 1832.
2: I was a... Um, oh, on the opening? I remember the opening. the opening.
1: I was very bloody and gross. So good. I was a prisoner in the opening. I was one of the homeless, impoverished people of... France in at the end of the day I was actually partnered with Danielle who we just spoke of earlier we had a whole backstory for our characters we were brother and sister oh, and I finally I was one of the people in the tavern at uh, in master of the house and then I had a pretty fast quick change to become Enjoras which I played for the rest of the show I initially was going to audition for Thenardier. And then one of our other college professors was like, you should audition for Jean Valjean. And I was like, that seems weird. And he's like, no, like, I really think you could do it. And he like weirdly talked me into it. So I sort of like, I didn't shoot myself in the foot because I mean, I got cast as a great, great part that I'll probably never get to do again. Andra was, I think, really for me, really how I discovered what my process is as an actor. So Sharon, who directed the show we talked about now several times, was one of my mentors in college. I worked with her four times and she taught two or three of my classes and she just really made sure that I knew that I was always being taken care of and that it was always a a, a journey that we were all going on together. So she partnered us with a minister on campus who talked to us about all of the oh religious gosh. elements of the show. And I actually have right here with me, I used this as a prop in the show. It was from the minister who worked with us on the show. I wish I could remember her name, but I actually cannot remember it at all. She gave me this prayer book that's called the Book of Common Prayer. And I don't know if I still have them dog-eared, but I, I had... I use this as a prop in the show because one of my big developments for Angel Ross was that he believed he was very deeply religious and he believed that God was going to protect him through this fight at all times. I don't think I have the page dog-eared anymore, but I had prayers that I would read on stage to myself every night when I did the show. And I've always kept this book. I'm not a religious person at all, but I've always kept this book because it was so... Pivotal in my process. I used the original text from Victor Hugo's novel. I used this prayer book on, live on stage. I had a notebook as well that I kept uh, for Thank the you. process of the show. I would take notes in it before every performance. And I also I also used that on stage. So it just really was a fully fledged experience for me. That I would not have gotten to, to do without Sharon's help. We did energy work mm-hmm. on stage we did sharon's a, re, a trained reiki master a certified reiki master so we used reiki practices in our development of the show i just can't speak highly enough of the way that yeah. sharon directs and i know she doesn't listen to the podcast but she is just one of my favorite people <laughs> she's polarizing because she can be very harsh and yeah. very uh, stern she no longer teaches at our university but a lot of a lot of students did not did not like her because she was very opinionated and very very stern in her process but it's because she cares a lot about art
2: my biggest experience similar to that is three penny which we had done the uh, following year mm-hmm. where i did i yeah same thing like i kept a journal on my care i would write as my character before i went to bed every night things i just never would have done before until yeah. she taught me how to do that
1: correct that's really what I have. The one story, the one fun story that I have as a personal experience, is the night that the barricade kind of fell down on stage. Did you know about this? I
2: don't remember. So I So our barricade in the show
1: our barricade was not very grand. It looked it looked nice when we were all on it, but when it just kind of was revealed it was not very exciting. But we had did have a turntable and one night the turntable turned and part of this part of the barricade that kind of fell together like Lincoln logs kind of came undone. So I grabbed the actor who played Grand Terre. His name is Kyle. I grabbed him and I said, come with me. And we went on stage about maybe 10 to 15 seconds early. And we, I just, I I don't know what happened, but we just somehow got into the same wavelength. Mm. And I grabbed him and I brought him on stage and I pointed and he saw where the barricade had kind of come unclipped. And we shifted it back together and went on with the show. And then I actually fell down the stairs. There were like there was like a little staircase built into our barricade. And I, I fell that. down. And he caught me. Ugh. I like fell. I like my foot slipped. I didn't actually fall, but my foot slipped right. a stair. And he caught me. And we had this like beautiful moment of that friendship. was like, we're in this together. And of course, then, you know, Angela Ross's sort of fury that is unleashed at the end of the battle is because Grantaire dies. At least that's how we that's staged. That's beautiful. It. Did you? Did you? Were you on stage at all for the barricade? No. Because there were a few women who were. We I had some not. like we had some women who were staged into our production as like assistants in the barricade who helped clean things up or whatever. But that was part of our barricade plot line was that during the final battle, Grantaire gets shot. Anjoras kind of catches his body in his hands, and that's what sends Angela Ross into his kind of fury of waving the flag and getting shot and that's kind of the end of angel ross but we had a very established bond between the two of them
2: honestly thank god i wasn't in the barricade scene because y'all had to stay for tech way longer than any of us did we did have
1: a whole separate day of tech for the barricade we had it on a friday instead of we had a two-day tech for les mis
2: uh and tech was nine to nine and 9 p.m rolled around on saturday and sharon's like we're staying till midnight or something i was like
1: i don't think we did though
2: I don't know. The barricade people had to stay. I was like, deuces. (laughs) I'm going to go to bed. Uh, We also should talk about the um, orchestration we used.
1: Chaplain. That was her name. She was not a minister. She was a chaplain. I could not think of what it was, but she was a chaplain. I think her name
2: was like Bethany or Everett or something weird like that. It was something very traditional with like that.
1: But we were very close. We got very close through the course of the rehearsal process because she was with us a lot to talk about religion and God's presence in Les Mis
2: Okay, but let's talk about <laughs> the orchestration.
1: Orc extra, baby
2: Orch orchestra, is that what it was called?
1: Orc extra.
2: No, it wasn't.
1: It was orc extra.
2: I thought it was orchestra.
1: No, orc extra is what everyone called it.
2: Why Why didn't we use a live? Because we couldn't afford
1: it? <clears throat> we could not afford it. You're correct. We are initially were going to use a blend of Ork Extra and some live band members. And one of the music majors at our college, when it was announced that we would only be using an automated orchestra, one of our music educators at our college created a petition. Oh, fucking A. That's <laughs> right. I forgot about this. Holy intro. shit. One of our... One of the music majors at our college created a petition to campaign that Les Mis use a live orchestra, even though he could, we could not afford it.
2: Also, I wanted to say that this is also the only, so this was in our main theater.
1: The Hannaway the theater, theater, correct.
2: The only show I was in that ever sold out. We sold out of yeah. one performance. Yeah, you're right. It was probably the high school day show. Yeah, you're right. I loved high school day at Plymouth State University. You'd feel like a rock star.
1: You really do. You really do. This was the, much like when we did Phantom in, in high school, that Les Mis is a show where the curtain call is done without music.
2: Oh, love it. Love it. Of course, then I, we did, uh, we did a wedding singer for the high school day and that was literally like being a rock star. You're right. I sang one line and they were like, yeah. I was like, thanks guys. What like,
1: happened? What I don't think I knew that about that.
2: It was, it, they went wild during Wedding Singer. No, but for you? Oh, I sang Linda's Note, which is like, it's funny. Right. But it's like a 45 second song and thunderous applause. love it. <laughs> like, you felt like a rock guys. star, right? I did. Welcome to every performance great.
1: of Rock of Ages.
2: I can't even imagine being in it. Do you have any other personal experiences?
1: I don't. That's all she wrote for me. I don't have any dream casting. For the show. I think enough that's people great. have played these parts. Do you have any?
2: No, because I keep forgetting that's a category.
1: That's okay. Amanda, final thoughts on Les Miz. Tell me about them.
2: I, similar to how I feel about Into the Woods, this is a show of morals and quotes that I really love. One of which being to love another person is to see the I face of I don't know God. how I knew
1: you were going to say that, but I did know that.
2: It is just a stunning quote. Even if you don't believe in God, to love another person, to feel love for another person is to feel that greater power. If you were I might be jumping the gun here, but if you were to be in the show again, do you think you would what world would you So
1: before I was before I was here, before I was in New York, I was driving around New Hampshire and I played this cast album and I sang through Angel Ross again and I don't know what it is about the story. His his particular journey in the show, it would have to be a very specific production. Obviously, I know that traditionally I'm not necessarily the right type for Angelos, but I just would love to tell his story again. His story is so beautiful, and I just had such a wonderful time telling it the first time around. I do think in the future, I'll probably make a pretty great uh, Tenardier yeah. That's something that I think I'm more inclined to doing is sort of the comedic relief of the show that then kind of delves into this dark, sort of microcosm you know who, of the role. But
2: you know who I would actually love to see you play as a real acting challenge in thirty like years. No, oh, who,
1: who? Out Javert. Interesting.
2: In thirty years, <laughs> I would. Lo- I, I love. I personally love seeing you play a more serious role because it just. I've seen you do comedy for so long it's right. just really nice to see that change and I really think that would be a very interesting role because you are able to delve deep into characters like some people aren't so thank
1: you Amanda thank you for saying that I think the one thing I have fa- kind of against me in that respect is the fact that my physical presence isn't always super intimidating so I think that that is something that sort of mm. inhibits me in that regard is that I think Javert, if he was played kind of more like a sleazy, if he was like a like the police chief, you know what I mean? And he always had people that were like actually doing the dirty work for him, that might be something to to investigate. But I think that my physical presence isn't always so intimidating.
2: I understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. 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 But I appreciate that compliment. It's a very nice compliment from you. I would love in 15 years to see you play Fontaine.
2: I was actually going to say I would really like to play Fontaine. I just, like, Eponine's a great character. She's, I just, I think I got the idea that bon- that Eponine is an annoying teenager from, like, just growing up. Like, On My Own is such a typical high school song about You're right. wanting a boy you can't have. When really, it's much deeper than that, and uh, it's
1: so much deeper than that. Her uh, story is based on has love, but never I f- she has never known love, and he's the no. one person that's given her the time of day and been patient and kind with her. And I,
2: yeah, I feel like my perspective. How, could, a how could she
1: not fall in love with him? He's the literal one person that has said, "I acknowledge you and I care about you." They're friends. He's the he's her only friend.
2: But I would rather play
1: Fontaine. I, re- I think you'd Be really beautiful. I would now, love I'm- to see you like. I obviously don't know what your future holds, but I would, I think it'd be really interesting to see you like maybe become a parent and then play that role after you've experienced what it's like to be a parent and, Mm. and, and tell that story that way.
2: I love that. I, I truly listened to I Dream, I Dream to Dream mostly, like really listened for the first time. I think this past week, like I said, I think I was texting you earlier. I was like this is what Les Mis was about? I just, like, <laughs> don't remember.
1: Well, the so plot got, is so thick, and there's so, it's much, so thick. there's so much story to tell. It really covers so many people throughout yeah. society and, and what society can do to a population.
2: It took me probably three days to watch the film because I kept pausing and researching because I was mm. like... Because you know how they um, they do the barricade and everything at that funeral service?
1: Yes, at Lamarck's funeral.
2: Yes, a real person. So I got lost Lamarck, yeah. into learning all about him and learning about that Andrew. is how
1: the entire protest of eighteen thirty two began. Think right. about George Floyd dying. Yes, it was when it's General. So it was when General Lamarck died. Obviously, he was a general and not, you know,
2: no, but he was the he was the only person in power who was supportive of it.
1: And he died, and, and then it causes an enormous yeah. uproar.
2: But think about this too. Like Javert, the whole time is like schoolboys. You schoolboys, and like right now, who are the ones? I mean, for the most part, who's protesting? It's the millennials, because it's the young people who want to see a change for their future. Between the
1: ages of eighteen and twenty-six.
2: A hundred percent. So maybe this wasn't happening like as much when we were in Les Mis because they needed us to graduate college so that we can <laughs> get to the streets.
1: Exactly. Exactly. All in all, I think it's a wildly applicable show. It is shown in over almost 40 years of being performed that it is timeless. Um, I hope for a future where we don't need to tell stories like Les Mis anymore, but I am hopeful that the lessons that we learn from watching a show like Les Mis will impact the way that we behave in the future.
2: If you are listening to this and you've never listened to the show or watched it.
1: Or really listened. If you think you've listened, listen again.
2: Please do. It is, it's just very powerful and it is different listening to it, maybe at a later age than when you first experienced it and at this present time. It's just a wildly different show.
1: 100%.
2: Well, thank you guys for listening.
1: Yes, Amanda, thank you for joining me on another wonderful episode. I love doing this podcast with you.
2: It's thank fun you for to joining it. me.
1: It's fun in to do my it in home. New York.
2: I'm so happy for you. I can't wait to hear the sound quality of this new room.
1: <laughs> uh stay tuned next week. We're gonna do one more episode. No, we have we're two more do episodes do left. Two more episodes. Uh we have two more episodes left in season one, so that's crazy that we're almost at the end. Like I can't believe we're- that We started this journey over like two and a half months ago, and we're almost already at the end of our first season.
2: We're almost at the end of the shows that we've been in together.
1: I know. That's also weird.
2: Right? But have no (laughs) fear. Broadway's had other shows.
1: So many other shows. All right. We will talk to you soon. Take care. Stay safe. We love you all.
2: Love you guys. Thanks so much. (laughs) Bye, Amanda. Bye, Sam.
1: If you like what you heard on today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Want to support Buzzed Broadway? Head to anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzz Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at, at @buzzbroadwaypodcast. Podcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean. Editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Pariso with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time. Yeah, her so yes, voice is I agree so
2: miracle.
1: Um, I um, need you to take your AirPods <laughs> out, swallow them, and then go to the bathroom and never come back. <laughs> <laughs>